You're listening to the Leaside Lives podcast with me, Jordan McCarthy, and welcome along to episode one. In the opening episode of our new podcast, I'll be speaking with Mr. Aina Dowling, musician, radio presenter and documentary maker. Aina, you are a native of Dublin, but you've made Cork your home. You've been living in, in Yall for almost 20 years now. Yeah. Hi, Jordan. Thanks very much for having me on the podcast. Uh, yeah, I grew up in Dublin and I've escaped is the good news. I'm a refugee from the metropolis and I've been living here in Yall since 2002. Lived for a little while in West Cork before then. So really in this phase of my life, this mature phase of my ongoing life adventure, Cork is my home. We can claim you at this stage, I think, Anna. <laughs> Listen, thanks for agreeing to speak to us on the, on the first episode of Leaside Lives podcast. I'm interested to hear where your musical journey actually began because um, I listened to your, your recent um, documentary on, on community radio you all call What's the Scare? Really enjoyable show as well. I think in it you said you've been playing ska music since around 1990, which is almost 30 years now. Well, I first started playing ska and reggae in Galway in the early 90s, 92, 93, probably 93. I'd have to check the old diaries. But um, sure, I was in my 20s at that stage, Jordan, and there was a lot of music under the belt at that stage. You know, music begins in the womb with the heartbeat. You hear your mother's heartbeat and you hear the ambient sound through the amniotic fluid and the comfort of your mother's womb. So I think we absorb sounds then and we either get a taste or a feel for it or there's some comfort in it. So that was that. And of course, like the rest of us, I was singing and making sounds before I could talk and form language. I think music is intrinsic to our human nature. And sometimes we continue to communicate ourselves and make sense of the world through music. And sometimes we learn language to mediate uh, the world and the experiences we live in. But definitely um, beyond that universal experience of sound and understanding the self and the environment through sound, I did have the great fortune of growing up in a household where my father was a bit of a fiddler, as in he played the violin or the fiddle in what would be known as a trad band or a Cayley band and all that kind of stuff. And so by the time I was six, seven, eight, I was very aware that my father would take the fiddle out at family parties and gatherings and all that kind of things. It was part of the family culture. And so I grew up with it. I got the piano lessons as a posh to og and all that, resenting my Saturday mornings playing me scales and going to Mrs. Brady for the lessons when all the other lads were out kicking balls or chasing girls or whatever they were doing. But I put in the hard yards, as they say, as a young fella to learn my instrument, which is primarily the, the piano. And yeah. The and why, can I ask why piano, why keyboards, why not drums, why not guitar? It's a very good question. I'm not sure to what extent I would have been uh, the decision maker at the time because you're a young lad and okay. you kind of get sent places. There was a bit of tin whistle in the old school as well and I would have picked up a bit of guitar when I was 10 or 11, 12 so I can still play around with those things. But I suppose the, I had an affinity for the piano or I liked I liked the breadth of music that the piano exposed yourself exposes you to because uh, say if you're playing uh, a one-note instrument like a saxophone or a tin whistle as in an instrument where you can only play one note at a time you're, you're focused on melody and rhythm whereas sure. when you play the piano you've got a bass going on in your left hand you've got some riffs going on you've got some rhythm going on and you have to have a sense of the harmony and the structure as well in order to make sense of what you're actually doing so I really enjoyed the intellectual mental understanding side of music during my getting to terms with music and learning about music phase so the piano suited me in that regard Okay, so you were performing uh, from a young age you grew up in a very musical uh, household as you said when did you join your first band or when was your first, we'll say, concert? Well, I would have been playing um, 
recitals, I suppose, and all that kind of stuff uh, throughout the childhood. And that's just part of the culture of, of learning an, an instrument in what I call the conservatoire tradition, okay. uh, which is where you learn the, uh, the the canon of classical music and you do your grades and all that kind of stuff. So part of that culture is is to do recitals and performances. So we would have done that quite early on. Uh, joining bands, a lot of messing about with lads and thinking about bands rather than making bands really as such Um, so I was lucky enough to get to university Jordan and um, I studied music in UCD so that brought me into a whole level of other stuff so I would have been there's lots of ensembles were they bands do we play gigs do we just play shows for our mates there was never any form of band that was going places in my experience so I was really in a learning phase at the time enjoying the great musical culture of Dublin in the 80s which was absolutely fantastic but I rarely made um, a band as such or that we'd get to the stage and something that happened there'd be a concentration wobble or there'd be a confidence wobble or that kind of thing or a lack of cohesion and there was a whole lot of issues like that in my head that prevented me from establishing a band at that phase of my life. Interesting. And you said you've studied music at university level as well. I immediately thought of a Foo Fighters gig. I was at over the summer there where Dave Grohl said about the um, the keyboard, the keys player with the Foo's is uh, Rami Jaffe. Dave said, this guy actually went to college and studied this stuff. He didn't use the word stuff, of course, but I just thought it was very, very um, I just thought it was hilarious given the occasion it was. But um, Well, it's an interesting thing because a lot of people learn music from uh, listening and it's a really important thing to listen to the tune you like and to pick out the drum pattern or the bass line or the keyboard line or whatever your instrument is. And it's a really important skill because music is a tradition. It was passed down through the ear uh, over the generations from ancient times, you know, fathers taught sons and all mm. that kind of stuff. Or you pick it up around the fire or wherever it was. Uh, and then the other approach to it, which I was immersed in, which is the an intellectual approach where you learn how to read it. So you can pick up a, a piece of score music, sheet music and translate it into sound through the, the process of the mental process of doing that. Yeah. So when you get end up being in bands, then you have this unusual you have this sometimes it's a clash right so lads who've just picked it up from learning and, and working out the chords and all that and other lads who can know what's going on in, from an intellectual point of view and sometimes the language is different from the different traditions or the different ways of learning and you have to find your way through it Was it the, the strong musical culture in Cork that drew you to this neck of the woods in or was it something else that brought you here? It, it's, it wouldn't have been music that brought me to Cork originally um not for sure and it took me a long time to present myself to the community in Yall for example as a musician I was here I, I worked in community work okay. so um, at some point in time there's a parallel thing going on in my life with the social conscience, con- conscious, consciousness and awareness of the world around me and wanting to engage with that because music can be a very abstract little thing you can get into the, your musical bubble where all you do is listen to tunes talk about tunes hang out with musicians and people who like music and in one sense it's fantastic in another sense you are bubbled away from the rest of the world and the rest of the world I found very dynamic and exciting so I would have started doing a lot of um, gigs fundraiser gigs for various charities and organisations and causes particularly in the 90s when I was living in Galway and I got increasingly into the campaigning side of those kind of issues and that became more and more important to me in my 20s it was my uh, eco-warrior rebel against the system phase if okay. you like <laughs> so um, so in terms so I put music on the back burner for a while at that stage to focus on say um, environmental campaigns or social justice campaigns so when I came to Yall first I worked with Comunidina the community development project and I had my management uh, 
hat on organising right. things fundraising things getting things going in the community animating projects here like starting the youth club next door and all sorts of things starting homework clubs all those kind of things getting employment services into town because in, you would have been a young fella at the time but unemployment hit you all really hard in the early 2000s the factories closed down Artisan and Panasonic and all yes. these places closed down and the, the, the listeners on community radio you all will remember the impact that had on the social fabric here so there were lots of people who grew up expecting a lifetime's work here in town and it was gone and they didn't know where to go so I stepped into that that's why I came here and I kept my music quiet for a long time because I wanted to present myself that side of myself I knew if I started hanging out with the musicians straight away that'd be it like, yeah. I'd, never get, I'd never get a tap done but soon uh, soon enough Synergy came calling and um, Synergy I mean an amazing group you all based group of musicians including yourself Anna you played keyboards uh, with Synergy where to start? I mean, we'll start with the album. You've actually brought along the album with you today. Uh, it's called That's How It Feels, an amazing CD from start to finish. I absolutely love it. I think they're a great band, Synergy. These, one of your songs on the on the record is Wise Up, Rise Up. You, you sing that. That's a song you wrote yourself? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And Synergy started uh, for me when I met John Burke on the Main Street here in Yall. And I'd been recording a solo album with John. And uh, with John and Bobby Lee primarily, and a few other people involved, including Eamon Cagney on percussion. But John says to me, "There's this lad Kieran Cantwell out in Knockinor, and he's having a jam round his house every Thursday night." And I said, "I think I know that lad. That's the old lad with the dreadlocks, isn't it?" <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, that's the lad." <laughs> and of course, Kieran would be like just just friendly, and anybody would look a bit interesting. He'd come up and say hello to you. So for over a year, myself and a few other people went out to Kieran's house in Knockinor every Thursday night, and we just jammed up tunes and had a bit of a session. And it was part social men's shed kind of stuff because it was mostly men there were a few ladies joined us and it was partly jamming and jamming and jamming so Frank McClellan would have been a big part of that who later becomes the main man in terms of fronting synergy in the songwriting yes. and the singing Warren on Tyvee on bass would have joined later in that phase as would John O'Reardon on didgeridoo and Ollie Lochnan would have come out from time to time with his drums you know but there were other people who came and went it took a while for the, the characters and the personalities to, to find each other and for the sound to emerge and it's a really interesting thing about music the personalities have to be right the chemistry off stage has to be right in order for on stage to be right it's a really important of course, part yeah. of it so we jammed away for over a year and then we started doing bits of gigs and our first gig was in the Marine one Christmas and it was a very different band Ollie wasn't with us there was no drums there was a lad from China turned up and played some percussion really (laughs) Wolfgang was playing guitar Simon wasn't with us at that stage Clive wasn't with us at that stage but over the course of a few months we kind of a nucleus came together and a sound came together so we had a lot of I was a kind of I was kind of a passenger for a while in terms of just enjoying the jam okay Warren and Ollie brought a whole lot of organisation and professionalism to the setup. Frank had 30 years experience at gigging all over the country with some great musicians. Yeah, Loudest Whisper was... Loudest Whisper, yeah. Yeah, it was Philip, one of them. Yeah, and Philip Donnelly, Loudest Whisper from Fermoy, famous for the Children of Lerm, uh folk rock opera they did in the in the 70s, but still gigging, great great lads. So Frank had toured Ireland with them and toured Ireland with Philip Donnelly, the Clontarf Cowboy and all that kind of stuff. So he'd played in every town and village in Ireland. So he had this folky kind of rootsy, vibe, bluesy kind of vibe off him. Warren and Ollie, a lot of professional hard rockers. We know yes. how to do it. We've done a thousand gigs. We want to do a thousand <laughs> more. Let's fucking do it. That kind of stuff. And uh, John came in with the didgeridoo and we had a lovely balance between kind of ab- amateur and hobby musicians and real keen focused professionals. 
What was that experience like? So, and what, how different was the sound, we'll say, from those early jamming sessions to the the ska reggae sound that we associate synergy with now? Well, the sound always develops over time. Uh, different different people in the room make a different sound for a start. So, there was a lot. Uh, there was a, a country influence. We we're playing quite a bit of country stuff. Okay. Um, country folky stuff. You know, the, there was always a bit of reggae or a bit of reggae groove, but you don't really have reggae. A uh, controversial statement: You can't really have reggae without bass and drums, right? <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's that roots dance rhythm. So when Warren and Ali came in with the, with the rhythm section, that was it. Suddenly, bang, things just locked in. In terms of the top was always interesting. Frank's melodies, my uh, fills, my solos, all that kind of stuff. Kieran's monologues or Kieran's uh, contributions, his spoken word contributions, all very interesting. But when Warren and Ollie brought the rhythm section in, it gelled. And then when Simon joined us on guitar, Simon Daly, then that brought a new level as well. Because yeah. suddenly we could rock out, we could really rock out. And Simon's a very sensitive player and he can knit the whole thing together. So that he was kind of a little bit of glue that held the whole thing together into what it became. And we ended up doing the two albums. Transparency was the first album, which was a much more live in the moment recording whereas that's how it feels was, was more of a studio project okay. with fellas coming in and adding their bits Transparency was more or less recorded as a group live in out in Clay Castle Studios here in the hall And this, getting back to your song on the, on the That's How It Feels album in uh, Wise Up Rise Up it's probably befitting still of the of the current climate you talk about climate change you, know, you talk about the 1% in control um, perhaps an organisation might adopt that song you know in the, in the coming years to, to raise awareness perhaps shall we say they might yeah they might yeah wise up rise up um, the power system has no answers and it's the idea of it's an empowerment message and I suppose there was a point in time in terms of me writing songs that you, you marry the musical knowledge with the social conscience mm. or the, the things you're interested in I suppose that's a really good example of that now with Synergy we always had a little bit we weren't always going to sing about your granny falling in love with the lad across the road and running away to Evita for the, the fortnight's holiday <laughs> on Yolks Right, we weren't going to do those kind of songs. Uh, it was about consciousness we're raising in terms of your personal development, in terms of environmental and social issues. I mean, Frank has a great song called "Only One." There's only one ocean, and this idea that um, it's a small world and we're all part of it. You know, so that was always part of our culture in terms of our conversation or our, our, our shared belief system <coughs> within the band. So my contribution was "Wise Up, Rise Up." Yeah, so a nice reggae tune. One of my favourite bands, undoubtedly, and I've watched them. Uh, I've seen them several times in the in the locality. But you also played Electric Picnic a couple of times. Trench Town, what was that like? Very lucky to have played Electric Picnic loads of times at this stage. You know, and really something I'm very grateful for. Um, I played Electric Picnic with Synergy. Um, God, how many times? I don't know. Three years, three years in a row. I think we played Electric Picnic. Warren had a connection with Amnesty again. The social conscience overlapped with Synergy okay. big time. So Warren had done the Amnesty stage. Amnesty had a tent or a, a space at the picnic for years. And Warren, I don't know how he managed it, uh, but he got the gig to do the sound. So I remember being at the picnic one year before I played at it. And um, the Steve Whelan band was playing in the Amnesty right. tent and the Burka were playing in the Amnesty tent. So that, there was a big y'all contingent in and around that. So that was fantastic. So we got a gig with Amnesty and then I had a link with to my environmental links with the people from the uh, Clock Jordan Eco Village. And they have a space there as well. And they gave us a gig a couple of years. And then we got the Trenchtown gig as well. Yes, yeah, so with Synergy, we played three different stages over three different years. And some years we did two gigs. Um, so that was fun too. And then later I've joined the service. So I've played with the service now, a yes. reggae and ska band out, out of Cork. And we've played the picnic three times at this stage too. Excellent. And in terms of Synergy, you now has that 
been put to bed or do you guys still meet up in jam will there be a reunion tour <laughs> um, I certainly can't rule that out Jordan uh, there's no concrete plans to do so uh, funny enough it came up in conversation yesterday and we did a gig last year in the Marine uh, I think it was Stephen's night or sometime around the Christmas and it was a really positive experience for us uh, because it didn't end well in terms of it was kind of a sudden put on the handbrake and there was a whole load of healing needed to be done in terms of the interpersonal stuff so around this time last year um, we got the idea together that we do a gig and we'd have a Christmas party and over the course of preparing for that six, seven, eight, nine rehearsals whatever it was um, found the common ground again let bygones be bygones and found the groove and delivered a okay. show and that was a great experience for all of us and I was particularly pleased that we left the close the, close the book on a high rather than with a bit of grit you know Sure. so psychologically that was very important for me and, and hopefully for the rest of the lads too and before that we'd done a Christmas jam on the quiet in the marine one year we might do that again Jordan if, we, if it happens I'll let you know yeah it's exciting hopefully but it'll never be the same again Jordan because we're all different people right and it's very important that you can go back and you can play the notes and you can play the tunes note for note but why would you want that and I'm a different man and Clive's a different man and okay. all the rest of it you know so and there's something about a band driving on in the full confidence of knowing you got it the swagger is there the confidence there you know you have it in the bag and there's more coming from the source if you want it there's something about that drive and that moment that when it's gone it's really hard to recreate it you know okay fair enough uh, watch this space as they say <laughs> I guess the, the service as you mentioned or your, or your current band uh, Scan Reggae Covers Band it must be real fun being part of a ska band because listening to your to your documentary What's the Ska recently that, that's, that's the message that I get from it it's a really fun genre to be playing and to be following as well you see lads at the gigs with the hats on and dancing and it must be mighty crack to say the least Every time I play a gig with the service no matter what's going on in my head or how I'm feeling it's a party yeah. and it's just brilliant <laughs> it's just brilliant and uh, we've been very lucky that we have found people who respond to what we do there's a, it's a great bunch of lads six lads I'm the eldest I'm in my early 50s but the rest of the lads are in their, their 40s so we're all kind of grown up and all that kind of stuff um, so we appreciate it for what it is you know and um, we yeah we play hard we do our best and every time we play the dance floor lights up and there's a party and it's really fantastic to be part of that and one of the reasons I like playing ska I can play folk music I can play classical music I can play jazz and I can play all sorts of contemporary pop music but the reason I like playing ska and reggae is because bang you play it and you get a visceral response the body okay. response it's not an intellectual or an academic response people respond with their bodies the hips move the heads move people are dancing and it's just a really beautiful experience mm -hmm. Busy season approaching, though, I guess, with the with the festive season almost upon us, like, isn't it? Well, I wish it was. We're actually kind of quiet really? for a change, but never mind. Okay. <laughs> never mind. We're kind of quiet for a change. But um, you have been busy up to now, haven't you? have been yeah. busy, yeah. And it comes in phases and waves and all that kind of stuff. And because we're all at a certain age and there's careers and there's families and four of the lads of kids in primary school, okay. so there's restrictions on availability for messing and mischief and gigs <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. It's different when you're in your 20s and you don't have those commitments. You of can course. just go hell for leather and just take every gig and, and do your best with it. So it's actually a quiet time. We're playing Crane Lane for New Year's Eve, which we're very much looking forward to, which which will be fantastic but yeah yeah. We, so we do 50-60 gigs a year which is just about just about enough really. just about enough yeah, yeah sure and some of the some of the other venues you mentioned Crane Lane there you play the Brogue regularly in Cork City as well Collins uh, JD's here in Yall Across the border in Kerry, Mike the Pies. I mean, I, I've never been there, but it sounds like a fascinating venue, like one, I suppose, um, with, with a lot of history to it. But it's really grown as a live venue over the last four or five years, hasn't it? It's a remarkable story, Mike the Pies, in Listowel with the proprietor, Aidan O'Connor. The families, or the, the 
premises has been in the family for generations, maybe a hundred years or so. <clears throat> and when Aidan inherited it those few years ago, he has to put his own stamp on it. So Aidan's buzz is music and comedy, right? He loves his music and his comedy. <laughs> so he used to have a go at this. You can always pull points and you can always have the soccer on the back and you can always have the odd pub quiz and all that but he decided he'd put bands on the Frank and Walters were the first band he put on there I don't know how he managed to blag them but he did Uh, so he got the Frank and Walters to come down put a cover charge on the bar and it went really well and off he went and it's a really old traditional pub you'd walk in the front door and it's just like you'd sit down and there'd be loud lads at the bar and (laughs) chatting at the tables and all that kind of stuff pool table down the back during the way during the day but it's a really friendly place Aidan puts on a great hospitality, great welcome. You definitely welcome the service and all the other bands. Now, his particular niche interest is kind of what you'd call indie rock kind of stuff, indie alternative stuff. So he would have put on bands like Columbia Mills and the Touts and the Fontaines DC, which is fantastic. So he was looking at those kind of up-and-coming, hungry young bands for that sound, that indie rock sound. So uh, I can't speak for him, but uh, Aidan would have a soft spot for Oasis and that kind of 90s, indie good songwriting yeah. good performance lash it out and enjoy yourselves kind of music you know so but he likes the ska too so he gave us a chance and sure we just lit the place up for him <laughs> we just got the buzz going there's a bit of Cork Kerry Dublin banter uh, going lovely. on and we just got a, yeah so Mike the Pies go to, go there sometime uh, Jordan it's a good uh, night out or a good weekend away for a special place I look forward to it and I guess in a similar vein then you have the um, Connollys of Lip have you ever been there West Cork have you played there I have been there but I haven't played there it's okay. one of those things that's missing on the map the one place in, in West Cork that I have played is Debarra's which is a wonderful place in Clonakilty yeah I've been there myself for yeah. a few gigs yeah it is yeah. smashing oh it's absolutely smashing venue and it just, again it has the rock, rock and roll vibe you know some places have a, a rock and roll vibe in it it's either the staff have it or there's the memorabilia on the wall or the local musicians artists um and um, writers congregate there. That's their scene. That's their place. And you can feel it when you walk into a place. What kind of people are there, and what the kind, what they're kind of into. Mm. And so, when you walk into a place, and you know half the audience are musicians or want to be musicians or ex-musicians, it's kind of a different buzz than when you walk into a place where it's, it's it's young professionals on a night out who have an appreciation of music but wouldn't be living it. You know. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, moving away from the music for a minute, we touched on it already. Actually, the. I guess your, your passion your passion for awareness of the environment mm. um, I spoke to you last year when it was, it was the 20th anniversary I think of the Tour de France coming to Ireland mm. you have I guess fond memories or mixed memories of that because um, I think you were involved in a protest when the, when the, when the peloton were passing through um, the Irish roads do, do you recall? I do recall very well I do recall very well and I came here on my bicycle today and I uh, I do stay yeah, on that's my right, bike yeah. best I can and it's important to me for fitness and well-being and try to stay safe on the roads and all that but back in the late 90s I, I had become very involved in environmental issues and it really was something that I lived in Germany for a while and I was hanging out with the hippies and the punks there and in terms of environmental awareness and uh, recycling and not leaving litter they were miles ahead of anyone I'd met in Ireland <laughs> they were dirty messers compared to these German hardcore hippies and punks right so I learned an awful lot about minding your minding your business and tidying up after yourself and minimising your impact and I brought a lot of that with Galway to me with me for those few years and by the time I'd left Galway I was pretty much um, I'd had an, 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 edu- an ed- informal education in environmental and global development issues 
and I'd started a magazine called Catalyst with a few friends. So I published a magazine, an independent magazine. All right. So we covered human rights issues, social justice issues. We covered this new thing called the Internet, which was all the rage at the time. <laughs> we, in terms of social stuff, we would have been very interested in indigenous people's rights, say in East Timor or, or Native Americans, all those kind of things. African tribes fighting for their, their rights to own their own land, their ancestral land in the face of corporations taking it off them. All those kind of issues became important to me. And this crystallised for me and my gang in and around Dublin in the late 90s in the Glen of the Downs, which is a forest in Wicklow, through which the N11 passes from Rosslare to Dublin. Oh, yes. And there was a road expansion scheme on the cards and it would have involved felling an awful lot of trees. And there was a whole opportunity there for us to make a stand and say, listen, your mobility, your transport issues are very important in a contemporary world. We accept that. But your nature is even more important because you get rid of this forest. You just can't replicate it. You know, once the forests are gone, it's, they, they take hundreds of years for them to come back to maturity. So uh, in the summer of 97, myself and my mates decided to go and live in the woods. <laughs> so we ran away from whatever we were doing and built tree houses and built camps and built kitchens and did all sorts of things. And to raise awareness that Ireland's Ireland's habitats, Ireland's forests, Ireland's rivers, Ireland's streams are as important as our contemporary needs to move around and build houses and do economic things for the world market and all that kind of stuff. So that was that. So in ninety eight, wasn't yeah, it? The Tour, Tour de France, France was ninety eight, yeah. So the Tour de France route is set, as you know, long before <laughs> lads with dreadlocks yeah. and, and girls with flowery dresses <laughs> decide to live in the trees so the route was set there was no change in the route and if you knew the topography it was it's more or less a kind of a slow flat a, a false flat or a gradual rise out of the city that way and, and then they went up to the hills and did a few laps of the mountains and back back into Dublin via Tala I think was the route so we were there and we decided we we were going to welcome the Tour de France because it's sustainable transport and all that kind of stuff we're not going to mess up a big thing like that for anybody it wouldn't do us any good but the police thought we might oh, the guard thought yes. we might sabotage the race it was all in their heads or they wanted to show us how strong they were I don't know the psychology is interesting so anyway at Tour de France day and it was July July 19th July Indeed, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so we were all there. So we called in the there's the people who live there and there's the support group and we call in the support group and there's hundreds of people there or there's tens or there's fifty or sixty, whatever it was, and we're just cheering them on and clapping them. But there's more guards there than us and every two or three metres along the whole stretch and it's about a mile, a mile and a half, there was a guard there every two or three metres on both sides of the road just in case someone made a run. So we thought that was very interesting. But uh, the day went off well and the, the you know yourself you've seen the Tour de France it's gone like that right you absolutely. know absolutely really fast amazingly you know, you fast got, you got this beautiful sound of the the whir the whir I love the sound of a peloton going yeah, by its speed it's, it's just a beautiful sound but that's all it's just a flash a blur of riders you can't pick out any, anybody when you're on the side of the road because they're just <laughs> yeah they're, it's amazing the speed is just incredible yeah, yeah yeah so that was that and then at the end of the day the local sergeant who was a bit iffy about all the special branch and all the rest of the lads coming down from Dublin on his turf <laughs> we had a chat with him when, I, when they all went off in their vans and he danced a jig in the middle of the road with a couple of the girls after that so it's a nice way to end the day 20 years on then Aina, um, like climate change is, is coming to um, I suppose it's more prominent in the in the public psyche now it's been talked about um, if someone listening in you know can change their ways their habits their daily routine to help the environment what advice would you have what can we be doing a bit better uh, I, I'm not going to get too much into the detail of that because it, it's covered elsewhere but I think the fundamental you can't respect nature if you don't experience nature. And we're very lucky here in Yall. We've got one of some of the best beaches that you're going to find 
and really and there's plenty of spaces on the beaches here and the river is fantastic you know whether you walk it or cycle it or even drive up by it or get out in a kayak with some of the lads who do the tours go up in a boat tour Glenbarrow Woods just up the yeah. road a fantastic resource a, a wonderful ecosystem I go there quite a lot over the last few weeks I've seen a squirrel running up a tree I've seen a fox and all sorts of things out there so there's wonderful environmental resources and I think the fundamental thing is to understand that we are part of nature and we can live in these concrete boxes and our our digital bubbles and all the rest of it and engage with human beings primarily or exclusively but there's a whole world right in our doorstep so I think the fundamental thing is to connect with nature so spend mm-hmm. as much time as you can in nature in terms of whatever your mobility and ability allows you but go to the woods go to the beach go to the river and just have the experience go on your own go with your mates there's plenty around here there's plenty around Cork great great natural amenities and the sad thing is that they're all threatened, you know, because of because of forces beyond our control and also development, local development issues and global issues. So it's about savouring it when you can. You cannot be an advocate for Mother Nature if you don't experience her, right? So go to yeah. the woods, go to the beach, go to the river, all the other stuff about plastic and what you do with your stuff. Someone else will tell you all that. But just go and be in nature. It'll, you know, it's something about nature therapy, Jordan, right? There's something yeah. about coming alive in the woods. There's something about being there. The air is fresher. You're in tune with your ancestors. All our ancestors lived by the river or lived in the woods. It's real important to do that. Excellent stuff. Thanks, Anna. Uh, next, what I wanted to talk about was um, some of the other some of the other CDs your work has appeared on. Uh, Marine Sessions, Volume 2 is one. Um, I mean, again, that was an amazing work a great venue for live music as well and promoting local local talent uh, the song that appeared on volume 2 of the Marine Sessions by yourself was Roots yeah. which is somewhat different to the likes of you know Synergy in the service because it's more kind of I guess there's elements of Irish trad and folk in that mm. T- tell me a bit about that song the background to that or? I certainly will um, I left Galway in say 95 and I'd been playing reggae with a band there called Two Talk Pass and we'd been pretty successful in the Galway and West Ireland scene but st- stuff happened it was time for the band to move on and I left Galway and I more or less at the same time I stopped drinking okay. which was a really good thing for me at the time cause <laughs> <laughs> because uh, being a young man in Galway in a band and I was writing for the local paper and I was doing nightclubs and doing environmental stuff I was the young fiery man around town in his 20s and okay. we'd no mobile phones so if I was going to meet you to talk about the thing we had to talk about I'd meet you in the pub and six or seven days a week I was in a pub and I was either drinking each or each of those days or most of those days and okay. it became an issue so I just decided to knock it on the head and leave it in Galway sort of thing so how do you play music if you're not going to go to pubs <laughs> it's tricky so I decided uh, so I, was, I did parties and I did um benefit gigs and I did campfire sessions used to go to meet friends at campfires and have a, a parallel social life outside of the pub scene meanwhile there's this big rave scene going on as well but let's not talk about that right now uh, so Roots I wrote as a song really to sing around the campfire so there's a thing about singing sing around the campfire where um, you get musicians of all abilities will turn up with their whistle and their djembe or their cojon and their guitar and their mizuki or whatever they have and there's the there's the standard canon people that play the trad tune and we'll all play the trad tune or they'll play the Bob Dylan tune or the Neil Young tune yeah. and we'll all join in and that's great but I wanted to do something that was more personal and real to me and so I, ma- I wrote a very simple tune four chords over and over again and it was just a simple chant that anyone could join in and so that was the genesis in terms of what it was about so when it came to record it I had done a trad session in Dublin in the Havenie Bridge Inn by the River Liffey uh, with a gentleman called Shane Brennan and one, that was one of the tunes we used to play and he put this tune on it the pigeon on the gate it's called which is the trad tune on it so when it came to record it here in Yall with John and Bobby I called Shane to come down and put the tune on it 
And meanwhile, I'd expanded the tune and I put a story in it about my my mother's grandmother and her visit to America and how she returns home. So again, it's yes. And I kind of told the my matrilineal line of like my mother and her mother and her mother going back a few generations. I kind of told that story in between the verses or the chants. Cool. Another CD, and you brought that along as well today. Uh, Trees are life. Yeah, you had a work. That's before you came to you all, was it? That? Yeah, 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 yeah. What was the song you had on that one? It's a song called "I'll Plant a Seed," and it's a song I wrote in the Glen of the Downs. And again, it's it's environmental consciousness or tree consciousness. So, um, my dearly departed great friend Kevin Hayes put that together okay. uh, with another friend, Niall O'Flynn. Niall's an interesting man, Tai Chi teacher now. And uh, but back in those days. It was about, again, consciousness raising, awareness raising. We're trying to raise some money to plant orchards in schools. And the motivation came from another group of friends and a project I was involved in called The Tree Walk, where friends walked around Ireland in 96 and 97. They did, um, started in Gort one year and walked, walked with handcarts and horses. It took okay. three, three months to do a full circle of Ireland, stopping at schools on the way and talking to them about trees and environment and singing songs and busking on the way and all that kind of stuff. So the Trees Are Life CD was to commemorate that and to, to raise funds to perpetuate it. It still goes on. John Crossan is the main driver behind that. So my tune is Trees Are Life. It was wrote it in the Glen of the Downs, so it's not the end of the world when things are falling apart basically and it's finding positivity in the face of adversity is the core message so the core is I'll plant a seed so no matter what happens in your life plant a seed try again make something positive happen out of whatever's going on in your life so that was the core motivation some really interesting people on that CD Liam Wainley has a track on it Keela have a track on it and Donovan has a track on it Brilliant. so really interesting so that was a great project to be involved in Cool and I suppose away from your own your own work in what are you listening to these days what's what's your album at the moment or at the moment um, yeah there's a couple of couple of really great pieces of music have come into my head recently Lancome do you know Lancome haven't heard no I do recommend Lancome they're an Irish folk band they're based in Dublin a four piece band and they're from the folk tradition but they marry it with kind of drones and soundscapes and all that kind of stuff oh. really really interesting take on the old tradition a beautiful singer called Rady Pete is the main singer there and they have a new album out called The Live Long Day and uh, I've been listening to that it's deep and it's dark and it kind of suits this time of year very soundy, very Halloweeny, very Novembery kind of okay. music. Very deep, wonderful. Lancome, listen to that. They're brilliant. Uh, they're my favourite Irish band at the moment. Apart from that, the new Nick Cave album, <coughs> Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, yes. uh, an album called Ghosting. I don't know if you've heard that again. There's a darkness to it. <laughs> it must be the time of year, George. <laughs> Normally I'm a Perhaps. happy chappy with a cheerful disposition. Uh, but Ghosting is Nick Cave's album. And Nick Cave's teenage son died in tragic circumstances a couple of years ago. And on one level, this is his artistic attempt to reconcile that experience with the rest of his life so it's a very different sound from your typical Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds um, uh, sound so there's sparse piano there's electronica there's uh, choirs and kind of shimmers of percussion and gamelan and all this kind of stuff there's no heavy bass riffs there's no heavy guitar riffs there's no heavy fiddle riffs it's all introspective and very very deep the album's called Ghosting the track on it that amazes me is a track called Waiting For You it's really fantastic so I do recommend some night if you're feeling just into your space it's Nick's really unique cosmology he's 
he's got a Jesus thing going on in his world. He's got a, an environmental consciousness. He's got okay. a he's a spiritual seeker, and he's had this tragedy, and this is his way of dealing with it. It's a fantastic album, Ghosting. Really looking forward to checking out those those albums, those artists, indeed. Anna, uh, are you a vinylist yourself? Do you do you throw on a vinyl, sit down, and sip something from a glass? <sighs> do you know something? If I had more money, I'd have more vinyl. <laughs> it's really it's there's a vinyl boom at the moment, though, isn't there? It's there's bizarre. It's it's really booming the vinyl the. The records are coming back like it's just quite bizarre because we've had CDs, mini discs never really took off. Now we're in the age of Spotify, but yes, record shops seem to be surviving, which is great. It is great. Um, yeah, and one of the things that came up in the Ska documentary was the whole chase for the vinyl, particularly for the DJs. I did a section on DJs and dancing because in, in reggae and Ska culture, it kind of started with the sound system parties, the sound system battles back in Kingston in the, in the late 50s and early 60s. So having the unique, exclusive piece of vinyl was really important. And there's a lovely anecdotes from that time in their culture where lads would import records from America. It was primarily rhythm and blues before they developed ska and their indigenous music. And you'd scratch off the name of the record. So if you're, you're doing a DJ set with your big homemade sound system out in the yard and your mate was selling the beer and your other mate was selling something else and someone else was selling go curry and there was this whole little social economy about it. But you'd scratch off the name of the record and put your own little identity <laughs> on it. So in case a rival came by, so that record's making them dance and it's still so that's really interesting so bringing it forward to the present the DJs there's a snobbery amongst DJs about getting the, the exclusive vinyl in that scene as well <laughs> and there's a little bit of that it's vinyl is kind of a status symbol on a sociological level at this stage you know so a lot of people buy vinyl and never even put it on because it's the pristine okay it's, it's like the comic books kind of Yes, the first edition is the treasure, yeah. and and particularly people of my generation, and uh, the vinyl was really important. And uh, you you'd buy singles with your seven inch, your your one track, your two track records when you could, and at Christmas or your birthday, you'd save up for a record, or you'd get it from an uncle or Santa Claus would bring you an album, and that became very important. And there's a lot of people in my generation tap into that now, and um, we can talk about the sound quality. If you have a sound good sound system, you'll get good sound quality no matter what the source is. But yeah, I would buy more vinyl if I had more money. Yeah, it's an expensive <laughs> hobby, like isn't it? Without a doubt. Yeah. But uh, it's just interesting that it's it's still going strong, given that a lot of people are streaming their music now. Uh, no, it is. But there's something about the tactile thing, you know. Mm. It's, there's a thing about material culture, and again, it's about touching things and having the experience. And with vinyl, it was always about taking the plastic off and opening it up. Yeah. And you might have the lyrics written on the sleeve, and you could read it, and there was a bit of artwork. And it's a very different tactile experience. And even putting it on and cleaning it and turning it over, very yeah. interesting tactile yeah, experience. It's like, it's like going into a bookshop and, and picking out something and, and reading it, bringing it home, rather than you know, downloading something or reading something on your Kindle. I suppose that's the that's the appeal really, isn't it? it certainly is, yeah, it certainly is, yeah. Um the Cork music scene, I mean, is that something what what is it you like most about about Cork? Is it the is the music scene, the strong musical culture, the you know, is that what you enjoy most about living in Cork or is it the outdoors, the Well, um I've never lived in Cork City. Here's the confession, right? I've lived in West Cork for a while and I live in East Cork for a long time now. So Cork is the the place I go to for my culture fix, right? Y'all is great up to a certain extent, but it doesn't have the variety. It doesn't bring in the the overseas artists the same way as a city would. Cork is one of the best cities in the world for live music. It just is. Full stop, no messing. I've been to cities. I, I like my city breaks when I can get them. But where would you get it? You start off at one end of Oliver Plunkett Street and there's six or seven bars 
just within four or five hundred yards walking where you'll find a good band playing where you'll find a good trad session uh, plenty of really interesting DJs and that's just the centre the commercial centre and as you move out from the commercial centre you just have this phenomenal scene you have this marriage in Cork with the um, a wonderful music department in the university a wonderful open scene and the technological aspect of Cork City as well so there's loads of people interested in tech and music working in Cork City and living in Cork City and the fusion between the two is incredible. Cork is one of the leading cities in the world for what they call sound art or soundscapes or the manipulation of sound through digital means to create different sensations. So it's about so you get really, really top class people doing all sorts of things there. So you have to go off the beaten track to find them. Um but they're there and so on any given night of the week there's a great trad session you can find a blues session a jazz session a good cover band it's harder to find an original band or something about that you'll find great DJs and because Cork is such a multicultural city now you'll find DJs playing West Indian music you'll find DJs playing um, world music for want of a better word yeah. South American music specialising in genres is really great so I wouldn't mind being 22 or 23 and having a few hundred quid in my pocket every week to be living in Cork would be fantastic <laughs> because it really is and the crack is good the, the flow between people is fantastic you know and you can find a quiet point if you want one or you can find the busiest of busyness if you, yes, if you want that as well absolutely. so it's really fantastic and the, the quality is amazing the people I really like in Cork City at the moment are Claire Sands Claire is a fantastic singer songwriter she's playing a gig in Cypress Avenue very soon which I'm hoping to get to a great singer songwriter she plays traditional fiddle as well and she's a young man in her band called Dylan Howe who is a fantastic keyboard player and piano player and plays saxophone as well he's one of the best musicians I've ever heard live um, he, uh, so they're fantastic there's another band called The Altered Hours which are kind of alternative psychedelic kind of stuff really top class band at what they do they're on tour with Fontaine's DC and Europe at the moment they're fantastic but general standard of musicianship of music education of camaraderie and support of crack is top class in Cork we're lucky to have it Are you still writing music yourself Fianna? Little bits Jordan I come through phases of it um, f- a few tracks written for the service we're hoping to get them recorded as the, the months go by if we ever get ourselves in the same, same room at the same time <laughs> and to get that done so there's a bit of that going on writing in the reggae and ska styles so I'm doing a bit of that and then from time to time I just find there's a song in me and I have to write it out so a little bit yeah and It's great the way you've been able to marry your two passions like music and the environment you've, you've brought them together and one has influenced the other really hasn't it? Well, absolutely, and I've had time to reflect on, on the musician's role in the environment, whether it's the social environment or the not, uh, well, the social environment particularly. The musician has always been part of the community and always plays a really important role, for example. And there's a great tradition in Ireland, it's kind of dying out, but it will come back, I'm sure, of it, the keening. So when someone passes away in the community, the, the keeners would gather from far and wide, so they're the people who would lament yes. and wail and achon, achon, and just set that vibration that sound to allow people to release their grief real important part of our tradition every time someone gets married there's a band or a DJ and the reason the reason there's a band there is because part of the ceremony of the marriage is, is the night time in the bed right Mr and Mrs or Mr and Mr or Mrs and Mrs whatever they have to go to bed and they have to they have to seal the deal they have to consummate the commitment and the musicians the band are there to pro- create the space where everyone feels a bit sexy, right? <laughs> where we all get a bit... It's a really important part of what we do. Uh, it's the dances and the crack, but it's getting people feeling sexy and feeling it's okay to express your sexuality through your physicality, through your dance. The musician's role is really important in that. And the musician, musician has a role in the storytelling 
because a story set to music you'll remember better than a story maybe in a poem or is that you read in the book because it'll go in you'll internalize the the the, the uh, dialogue or the drama of the story and you'll relate to the characters and you'll remember some of the key phrases so the musician's role is really important so and i really appreciate the fact that i've had an opportunity to perform some of those roles over the years so yeah uh, and I really enjoyed our chat uh, today to round up finally what would you say what is it that makes you tick what motivates you what drives you on each day well that's a good question I mean every day is different and um, I'm very grateful to be still alive because I'm at the age early 50s where I've lost so many mates over the years you know and people who never got this far for one reason or the other so I have a whole lot of gratitude that I'm still reasonably healthy reasonably able to know my own mind <laughs> reasonably able to um, do what I have to do I still have a lot of creativity left to me in terms of driving me on in terms of keeping myself alive in the medium to long term um, there's still stories to be written still songs to be written still gigs to be played still albums to be recorded and I want to be doing a lot of that still radio to be broadcast and documentaries to be made stories to be chronicled and captured I've very I've come to a place where people's experience and their unique experience of their own lives is as important to me as my own experience. And I'm very interested in getting deep with people about their own life experiences, which is why radio appeals to me so much, having the kind of chats we're having now and just getting into what's going on. All that stuff is really important. So we'll be doing a lot more of that as the years go by. And it's not just the music or the environment or the social issues, but it's people's experience of the environment or experience of social issues and how their engagement with their struggle or their joy affects them they're the kind of things I'm interested in so in terms of my professional life or the things I want to do outside of enjoying myself and being as happy as I can be with yeah. myself and the people around me those are some of the things that are motivating me and make me tick you know I want to know what's going on under the hood and I want people to tell me about their unique experience of life and I want myself and the people I care about to live their lives to the fullest in on that note we leave it there thanks a million for the chat really enjoyed it and um, people can hear more from you and your programmes on, on community radio you all throughout the week Artifact as well which is uh, you're actually going to record in your show after this as well and, uh, and have you got another documentary coming up in the well yeah I'm going to keep that quiet for now okay. that's quite enough but I do a show called The Global Hub which is about social justice and human rights issues and I'll be doing that over the winter and into the next year and I do a show on COI called Artifacts which covers the local art scene and plays music including some of the tracks I talked to earlier I've been playing a bit of Nick Cave and a bit of Lancome on, on that over the past so yeah so yeah and community radio is really important it's been good to you and it's been good to me Jordan and it's been yeah. good to this town and it's been good to as a as a place where people can share their experiences and as you can document the, the life and the fabric of the town and I think it's really important so I'm really delighted that later in life I've managed to play a part in the story of CRY so well done us for doing that Jordan Definitely so Aina thanks a million 